We're turning in God's Word this evening to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. I want to thank you for coming, and uh, it's always a privilege and joy for me to come to Valamina and bring the Lord's Word. I hope you'll come back as you can every night. Uh, we're dealing with, as your minister said, struggling saints, and we are a struggling people. Uh, each night might bring a different struggle that you might not be facing at the moment, but I guarantee you, you'll face it eventually. And we know, need to know how to learn how to deal with these areas of struggle. And by asking God that as a result of this conference, we'll all go away from it, much more able to deal with the conflict the agonies that arise from the struggles that we have to face as his people. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to break in at verse 11. Let's hear the Lord's inspired word. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he set him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and 
As he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. May the Lord bless his own word to our hearts for his name's sake. Please let's bow our heads and hearts around the throne just for a moment. In the quiet of the pew, ask the Lord to bring a word in season for you. Our God and our loving Heavenly Father, we are conscious how much we need the Spirit of God to give a power, a power that comes in the preaching of thy word that can only be explained as something that thou hast done. We pray that thou wilt get our attention as only thou canst. Thou dost know the burden of this message upon the heart of thy servant. Thou dost know how close it is to his own soul, and no doubt, Lord, to numerous believers in this house this evening. O God, we pray that it will be a word in season. It will be a means of grace to the souls of the saints who struggle in this particular area. We're asking that thou wilt do this, that thy people may glorify thee, and that the name of Christ will be exalted once again, and we will see how still wonderful, how powerful thy grace actually is. In our Savior's name we ask it all, and for his glory alone, amen and amen. My subject this evening is struggling with our wayward children. Struggling with our wayward children. I turn your attention to one of Christ's most well-known parables. Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers who records this parable. In a study of Luke you will find that it is a gospel that, that specializes in recounting parables and miracles and incidents in Christ's ministry where one could write across the page hopeless. Luke is the gospel that deals especially with the outcasts, the extreme cases, those situations that seem to be beyond remedy. 
Indeed, Luke has been given a unique place among the Gospels in that he presents Christ as the Savior of sinners. Emphasis upon the word sinners. And by sinners, I mean those for whom there seems to be no hope. This is the gospel to the abandoned, to the derelict, to those who seem to be irretrievably lost. A few facts you might not know about Luke in comparison to the other gospel writers will underscore what I'm saying. The word Savior only occurs three times in the Gospels. Two of them are in Luke. The other is in John. The word salvation only occurs six times in the Gospels. Five of them are in Luke. The other in John. The word redemption only occurs in Luke. Luke uses the word sinner 16 times, whereas it's found in Matthew only five times, in Mark only four times, and in John four times. We believe the Holy Spirit, for a very specific reason, orders even the occurrences of the words in Holy Scripture. Nothing is by chance. It's not a coincidence. And so we glean that this gospel was written especially as the good news for those who feel their case is without hope. It is therefore significant that this chapter begins with the words, Then drew nigh, or near unto him, all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. The Pharisees and scribes, as you know, the self-righteous religious crowd, didn't like what they saw. Luke says that they began to complain that Christ was allowing publicans and sinners to get near him. Why was this their reaction? Because these people were considered to be from the dregs and outcasts of society, Publicans were those much despised tax collectors. They were Jews who were working for the empire of Rome, and they were coming to the doors of their brother Jews and getting money from them against that despised Roman empire. As far as the Jews were concerned, they were traitors to their own people because they were tax collectors. The Pharisees used the word sinner to describe one who had a notorious reputation for living in sin. The Lord Jesus heard their complaining. He knew what they were thinking and responded by telling them three parables back to back. Luke 15 is the chapter of lost things. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. It is this lost son that must take our attention this evening. While the vast majority of sermons that have been preached upon this passage have dealt with the prodigal son himself, I want to take a slightly different tack on this parable. I want us to look at this parable through the eyes of the son's father, the parent 
of the prodigal. In dealing with this theme of struggling saints, I believe that one of the most common issues with which Christians struggle is wayward children. By wayward children, I'm referring to those children who were raised in a Christian home, who sat under the sound preaching of the Word of God all throughout their life, since they were infants, who were trained up in the way that they should go, but when they became adults, when they grew of age, they walked away from it all, like this prodigal. They may or may not live in open sin like the prodigal of Luke 15. They may have or may have not cut off all interaction with their parents. But one thing is certain, they have turned away from God. They have turned away from His truth. They have turned away from His people and have embraced the world and its pleasures. It may be they're still home, but they have no interest in going to church, no interest in reading the Bible, no interest in the things of their parents' God and their parents' faith. They're prodigals at home. As a Christian parent who has sought to bring up your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, how do you deal with that? A number of years ago, one of our ministers came to me. His children were going off the rails. And he asked me, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? For it seemed that he couldn't. What are we to think? How are we to respond to a child who has left home and embraced a life of riotous living? Who has embraced perhaps a life of alcohol and drugs? Who has chosen a life of sexual immorality? who has adopted the homosexual lifestyle, who despises everything about God, everything about His Word, everything you sought to teach Him, to implant in His heart, or her heart, has come to reject everything. Few things are more heart-wrenching to a Christian parent than to have wayward children. So many mothers and fathers in this situation, they struggle with how to handle it. How to even think about it. A flood of emotions overwhelms the heart, deep hurt, shame, embarrassment, Anger, fear, and a sense of being a total failure rushes in all at once. So as Christian parents find themselves struggling with their wayward children, 
There's a few things I want to say from this parable. Trusting it will enable you, as you struggle with it, it may not happen to you now, but it may happen down the road. You may have been struggling with it for years. You may have children that have gone the way of the world. And to this day, whenever you sit down and think upon it, it breaks your heart. How do you deal with it? Number one, remember that the best of Christian parents have experienced the heartbreak of wayward children. The best of them. It's clear from the parable that the prodigal son father was a wise and a godly man, and we'll see that in detail toward the end of my message this evening. But, but keep in mind that this father represents the Lord Jesus Christ as it has all along through these three parables. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. It's Christ. The parable is Christ's response to the murmuring of the Pharisees and scribes that he receives sinners and not just receives them into his presence, but he actually dines with them. In these three parables, Christ declares that not only, not only does he receive sinners, but that he actually searches for them. So he searches for the lost coin And he goes out and searches for the lost sheep. Not only does he eat with them, but in the parable of the prodigal son, he actually kills the fatted calf for their meal. He was flying in the face of their arrogance and their self-righteousness. So I say again that the parent being described in this parable is shown to be a wise and godly parent. You can see it in just how he dealt with his other prodigal son, who was at home. However good and however wise parents may be, however godly, it's a fact recorded throughout the history of God's Word and throughout the history of the church that many, many of them have experienced the sorrow that comes with wayward children. Isn't that what you find in the Word of God? We were thinking about this morning the Old Testament Scriptures. Adam and Eve, the first parents ever, brought the first child into this world ever. His name was Cain. The first child, he was a prodigal. Genesis, the book of first things, First child to godly parents is a prodigal. It may be that Eve wondered if this firstborn child will be the fulfillment of that evangelical promise that she would give rise to a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. I imagine, I imagine that she had great hopes for that. He's the one. He's the promised one. But man, was she surprised. Her firstborn son was a wayward child and the first murderer in human history. 1 John 3.12 describes him of that wicked one. 
Adam and, besides Adam and Eve, what about Noah? A man who found, as we saw this morning, grace in the eyes of the Lord, a great preacher of righteousness. For a hundred years he preached to a, a deaf congregation, unbelieving. He had three sons, and one of them, his name was Ham. We mentioned the fact that Noah was passed out in his tent drunk. I didn't tell you this morning, but you know the story, he was naked. When Ham went into the tent and saw his father Noah lying naked in his tent, as you read the passage, you you realize he thought it was a juicy piece of information that he couldn't wait to share with his two brothers. It was a mockery. You can almost see the fake concern in his face. Dad, you know what? I found him. He's there, passed out, drunk, naked. What about Abraham? Yes, he was a godly man, a man of great faith. He was the father of godly Isaac, but he was also the father of ungodly Ishmael, a prodigal. And Isaac... He wasn't on the same level spiritually, I don't believe, as his father Abraham, but he was still a man of God, and he had two sons. One was Jacob, one was Esau. While Jacob had many a fault, he became a prince with God. As you know, it was all of that that wrestling with the angel of the Lord on Mount Peniel. But Esau, Esau became a wayward child who wanted nothing to do with his parents' God, Matter of fact, at the age of 40, he married two Hittite women. The scripture says, which were a grief of mine unto Isaac and to Rebekah. He married two pagans, two ungodly pagans. He broke his parents' heart. He would go on to show how much his heart was actually set upon the things of this world when he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup and then plans on murdering his brother Jacob, Esau does. Look furthermore at the two sons of Eli, high priest. Though serving as priests in Israel, they were, the scripture says, sons of Belial who knew not the Lord. I don't believe for one moment that's how it all began. I believe that Eli would have sought to raise them up in the fear and and admonition of the Lord. But somewhere along the line, they said, we're not doing this. Oh, they played the role of being priests, but it was all phony. They were vile men. They were wayward. And was there a more godly prophet and judge than Samuel? If you know anything of that man's story, you would just wish I could be like him. And yet they said of his sons, Thy sons do not walk in thy ways. David had his Absalom. I came across online a a history of J.C. Ryle. In my opinion, J.C. Ryle has has written the best little booklet on the training of children I've ever read in my life. I tried to pattern the raising of my children after his instructions in that booklet. He had three girls and one, three boys and one girl. I don't know anything about his daughter, but none of his three sons embraced his evangelical beliefs. One of them became a bishop in the Church of England 
but it was also German neo-Orthodox denying fundamentals of the faith. It surprised me. The one who knew so much about training children and no doubt put those things into place. His sons were prodigals. The fact of the matter is that you will find in every age, in every corner of God's vineyard, Christian parents who have experienced this this heart-wrenching affliction of wayward children. They struggle, they struggle. And I begin with this point. Because the common response of parents, when this hits home, is to ask that soul-searching question, where did we go wrong? Where did we fail? Let me say up front that I am I'm not so naive as to think that how parents rear their children has nothing to do with how they turn out as adults. It does. I see a lot of young parents in this congregation. You take this to heart. How you raise your children is going to have a great impact on how they turn out. The Word of God is clear in so many passages upon this, particularly in Proverbs. It has much to say about child-rearing. And I trust you young parents will be serious enough about raising your children in the fear of God. You'll find out exactly what the Scripture says about how you should go about raising your children. The effects of bad parenting, whether among Christians or non-Christians, they are not good. But having, having said that, I have never met a parent yet who would not admit that if they could do it all over again, they would do things differently. Regrets. Looking back upon the years of rearing the kids, I should have done this, and I didn't. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have dealt with that situation like I did. And there are regrets. Sometimes it's the regret of being too harsh. Where every time there's an infraction of the rules of the home, it's like it's a federal case. I don't know what the terminology would be over here, but I think you probably understand. It's a a heinous crime, and that's how everything is treated. At least little infractions of the law are dealt with so severely because you're so intent that you want them to learn obedience and discipline. Others are extremely too lenient. They let things go by they should not let go by. They should have been stricter on certain things. They should have dealt with them immediately and not just let it go by, pass it off, and say it'll be okay. They should have used the rod more than they did. And when they used the rod, it was like a smack in the hand. It didn't really hurt. They look back now, and they have regrets. Not careful about guarding what your children see whether on their phones or on the internet, on the television, not careful in guarding it. 
not careful about where they go when they leave your house or who they're hanging with. Not careful. Evil companions corrupt good behavior. You have regrets. But, just as there's no perfect marriage, there are no perfect parents. As someone once said, the only perfect parents he's ever met are those who have no children. Perfect parents don't exist. No matter how godly, how wise they are, they don't exist. Childrearing is a lifelong learning process, and as with any learning process, you make mistakes. You fail in this area or that area. And not once, but you fail many times over. And it seems that you don't really seem to get a handle upon how it should be done, how you should raise your children as the Lord would have you raise them until they're gone. I just want to encourage you who have wayward children, admit your mistakes, admit your faults, and learn from them. And ever so gently suggest to your children who now have children to not make your mistakes. Gently. So they don't resist it. And think that you're trying to butt into their lives. Gently teach them what you have learned. Wayward children can be found among the godliest of parents. So I would say you who have never had this struggle, all your children have turned out just fine. They're on, saved and going on with God. Number one, thank the Lord for it. And number two, don't look down at the parents whose children have not turned out that way, who have a wayward child. Don't be so judgmental and think that they really messed up in rearing their children. The best of Christian parents have had wayward children. My second thought, our wayward children can plunge into the deepest depths of sin and shame. Reared in a Christian home, catechized from the time they were able to put two words together. But those same children can be found in the depths of the deepest sins. The downward spiral of the prodigal son began when he made up his mind to leave home. Isn't that how often it is? He wanted to be on his own. Why did he want to be on his own? Because at home he couldn't do the things that he wanted to do. He knew his parents wouldn't allow it. The only way to fix that was to leave home. So, verse 13, he took his journey into a far country. After he got his portion, which, well, that's another story. But after he got his portion, 
he went into a far, get as far away as I can from mom and dad. I've been wanting to have a good time, and I can't have a good time living at home. And that step being taken, that step right there, things went from bad to worse. Christ said, verse 13, there, there, and there in that far country wasted his substance with riotous living. That word wasted means literally to scatter. Uh, it could be used of wheat and chaff being tossed into the air so the chaff would separate from the wheat and the wheat would fall to the ground. Modern day terminology, he blew it all. How? With riotous living. That word riotous speaks of a life that is not only loose but wicked and debauched. His brother, who happened to be a stay-at-home prodigal, is common in verse 30, says he had wasted his money on harlots, prostitutes. In other words, the modern-day version of this prodigal son would have been found spending his money at the bars and the nightclubs, and the strip joints, and the brothels. He threw his money away on that which was fleeting, that which could bring no satisfaction to his soul, but he was blind to all of that. He just wanted to have a good time. There is pleasure in sin. There is. But it's only for a season. Moms and dads, your wayward children can be found living in a state so debauched that never in a million years did you dream they would go so low. You never would have thought it seeing them raised. They seem so sweet. They memorize so faithfully their catechisms and their scripture verses. They were able actually to explain the gospel to others in the clearest of forms. And yet they're found in the depths of sin. They were in church every Sunday, every service, prayer meeting. But they left home. And now they would never darken the door of your church. They spend their Sundays in riotous living. Perhaps they're at a place where they even deny that God exists. That the Bible is the word of God. They flat out reject that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. It's all fables you taught them as children. It's nonsense. Just scare tactics you use to control people. Maybe if they come to visit you, if they do, you smell the alcohol on their breath. 
or the marijuana on their clothes. You hear their language that you knew would have never been allowed when they were children. In fact, it wouldn't have even crossed your mind that such words would come out of their mouth. Maybe your child, who you prayed over for many years, is now living out of wedlock. Maybe they've even embraced the homosexual lifestyle and have married their partner. They may even blame you for why they are the way they are. It's because of your rules and your religion. It turned them against God. I want to tell you Hezekiah was a great and godly king. Yes, he had his faults like every godly king did, but God commends him. Yet he was the father of Manasseh, one of the vilest kings of Judah, who sacrificed his children upon the altar of Molech. Can you imagine taking your own children and sacrificing them upon a pagan altar? I know that if this is something that you are going through right now, and may have been going through for a long time, it is breaking your heart. You've shed many a tear, and you've cried to God over and over and over again that He would bring them back. Yet do not be shocked at how low they may go how far away they may get from everything you sought to teach them. Satan is working to bring them as deep into sin as he can, as far away from the truths that you taught them as he can, and they are powerless to break his hold. They are powerless to break his hold. A third thought. God alone can bring your wayward children to their senses. Verse 17 in the parable, this prodigal says, or the Lord Jesus says, And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he had been out of his senses, acting, living like he did. It was absolute absurdity. It was insanity to live like that. Insanity. And if there is a wayward child in this meeting tonight, I want you to know you are living a life that is insane. Insane. And you don't even realize it. But this son came to himself. How, how did he wake up? What happened? Well, verse 14, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. It was that great famine that was the event that became the catalyst in the the return of this prodigal son to his home. So tell me, just where did that famine come from? God is the only one who can hold back the reign of heaven. God, at this point in time, 
when all his money ran out, there's no coincidences, as you know, in this universe. It's all going according to plan. And just, just as his money ran out, there's a famine that comes and there's no food. God is the only one who can bring your wayward child to his or her senses to open their eyes. It's God. It's impossible for you or your wife to give your wayward child a new heart. You cannot change their hearts, and that's what they need. It's a new heart. They have a heart of stone, but what they need is a heart of flesh, and only the Holy Ghost can give your wayward child a heart of flesh. It's in God's hands. You cannot create faith and repentance, but God can. And it does not matter how deeply they have sunk into debauchery. God is greater than their sin. His grace is greater than their sin. Remember, Luke is the gospel of the hopeless situations. Seem to be irretrievably lost. But there's a God in heaven who has the power to reach down into the gutters of human life. And when it seems like all hope is gone, it is nothing to him to say, live. To bring them to their senses. God brought him to a place of absolute helplessness. And they've got to get there. You remember that. They've got to get there. Don't you help them. Don't you help them in their life of sin. They have got to get to a place where they are helpless. Only then will they look up. His finances were gone, and with those finances being gone, so are his friends. His food is gone. He's now ravaged with hunger, so he takes the job as a slave. That's what it means he joined himself to. He takes a job as a slave for a pig farmer. And you folk understand, of course, that swine was an unclean animal to the Jews. The Lord was humbling him. The hunger is so bad that he would have eaten the food that was given to the swine. But he wasn't even allowed to do that. That's the meaning of no man gave unto him. He wasn't even allowed to eat their food. It is then that he came to his senses and he, he realizes what he had had back home. It's then that he wants to go back home. It's then that he realizes what he's lost. It's then that he realizes he sinned against God and he sinned against his parents. I want to go home. I don't care if I'm a slave, a servant. I want to be reconciled to my father. 
I don't want this life anymore. The great, the great truth that stands out for us all just now is that there is going to be no change in our wayward children if God himself doesn't intervene. There will be no change whatsoever if God does not step in. And we need to feel that. We need to feel our utter dependence when we think about our wayward children. You can argue with them. You can plead with tears with them. You can tell them over and over again how much they are hurting themselves, how much they are hurting you, how much they are hurting the very cause of Christ by how they're living. But only God can bring them to their senses. A fourth thought, please. Pray with expectant hope for your wayward children. Pray with expectant hope for your wayward children. The father seems to have been looking for his boy to return. He saw him coming down that road to his house while he was still a great way off. He was looking for him. Like the woman who was looking for that lost coin and the shepherd that was looking for that lost sheep, this father was looking out for his lost son. That, that, that means there was an expectant hope. He was praying in the hope, believing that God had the power to bring him back. He prayed with expectation. Since God is the only one who can open their eyes and give them a new heart, then the best thing that you and I can do is to pray for them. Yes, if there are things from the past, if there are things from the past in your rearing of your children where you made mistakes as a parent that need to be admitted, then please, I beg you, go to them and apologize. If you were too harsh, tell them and tell them, I'm sorry. If you were too lenient, you really messed up, tell them, swallow your pride and admit that you did wrong things. You don't want them holding bitterness toward you. I've talked with parents who've had wayward children, and the child to this day remembers something that happened when it was four or five years old, and the child was punished unfairly. The child was not guilty. The parent thought for sure the child was guilty, but it wasn't. The child is now a grown adult. Couldn't forgive the parent. The parent never came and said, I'm sorry. If that's the case, then you go to your child or children and say, I'm sorry. 
Yes, you need to warn them in love that the path that they're on will not end well. But the best thing you can do is to pray for them and pray for them every single day. Never, never stop praying for them. Ask God to send someone into their lives that will be like a missionary. He can do that, you know. They were taught the gospel. They memorized the word of God. It's wonderful how God's providence can bring things about as it did with this prodigal son. Something can happen and all of a sudden, now this prodigal son remembers what he had back home. He remembers the truths his father taught him. He remembered what sin is. He had, had blotted it out of his mind, but now it all comes back. And you want to know why? Because there was a father at home that was praying for him every day that he had come back. Sometimes I walked into my home. I still lived at home. I walked in stumbling drunk. I look back now. I must have hurt my parents so deeply. The smell of pot was all over me. But you know what my mom said to me when I came back to the Lord? I prayed for you, John, every day. And God answered her prayer. I am standing here tonight as a result of my mother's prayers for me when I was a prodigal. Does that not give you hope, parents who have wayward children? Does it not? You need not give up hope. Pray with expectation. Ask the Lord to bring back to their memory those verses they memorized off by heart. I read the story a number of years ago about a chaplain in the Navy who came to the ship, come into port, and there was one sailor on the boat that looked, he was on the doors of death, and he went up to speak to him and the sailor, as sailors do, of course, cursed him out. He had the sailor's language, told him to go away. And the chaplain responded that he was responsible to give to him the gospel. And that because if he died without ever repenting of his sin... He'd be lost forever. Didn't faze him. The man was sullen, silent, and pretended to fall asleep. But that chaplain kept coming back every day. Every day he was meant with the same cursing and the same apathy about his own soul. There was something about the sailor, probably his accent, that led him to believe he was a Scotchman. And so during one of his visits, he repeated a verse from the 103rd Psalm. Such pity as a father hath unto his children dear, like pity shows the Lord to such as worship him in fear. That sailor's eyes began to fill with tears. 
the chaplain then asked him if he had a godly mother. He said, yes, when I was a boy, she taught me that psalm. And I've been a wanderer at sea and land. Yeah, it was the memory of his mother's faith, his mother's love, and his mother's prayer that God used. And that man was saved and became a brilliant testimony to the grace of God. His mother had prayed for him. She was long gone. But God didn't forget her prayer. You may not see your prayers answered while you're still alive. But God knows what you've prayed. Prayer can do what your minister or the sermons or your tears and pleadings could never, ever do. The best thing, the most effective thing you can do for your wayward children is to take them to God in prayer, expectant, believing prayer, that their case, however deeply they have fallen into the mire of sin, that they're not too hard for him. Do you believe that? As long as they have breath, pray for them. The fifth thought, briefly, your wayward children, let them know that you love them. Let them know that you love them. I realize it's a challenge when they despise the very gospel you believe. They want nothing to do with your church, with your friends, with the truth. I understand the challenge. But brothers and sisters, it's love that wins at the end of the day. They need to know that in spite of their sin, you still love them. You still care. You must not view love as enabling them. I don't find in the parable that this father sent money to his son who was living in riotous ways. He wasn't going to support that, and you must not support a wayward child who is wasting his life and riotous living. You must not give for one moment the notion that how they're living is okay and everything is fine because everything is not fine. But all the while, they need to be assured that you love them that you tell them that. I know someone, you would know, so it wouldn't matter. He's in his 60s now. He's never heard his father once tell him, I love you. 
Don't let that be true of your wayward child. No matter how wayward they are, how, how deep they fall into sin, tell them, let them know you love them. It's because you love them that you call them back, come home. Sixth and final thought. Welcome them back when they return. Welcome them back when they return. You know, it's only a parable, but I can, it's based upon real life situations. I, I have no doubt if this were a real life situation, this, this son was wondering about how his father was going to receive him. Dad knows how I've been living. I've been living like a wretch. I want to come back home. Is he going to receive me? Here I am. I stink. My clothes are ragged. All he'll be able to see is my bones I haven't eaten in a long time. My hair's all mangled. Will he even take me back? And while he was a great way off, he didn't wait for his boy to get home. He ran out to him and fell upon his neck and kissed him and and smothered his, his face in tears. See, Christ was saying he welcomes the wayward home when they come home. That's how We must respond. That's how we struggle, deal with wayward children. Make it clear that we love them and never stop loving them, even when they were in the depths of sin. Struggling with wayward children. In closing, I've been dealing with the parents of wayward children tonight. But is there someone here this evening who is the wayward child? I don't know. I don't know this congregation. I don't know how many of you have wayward children. I don't know if there's one here tonight that's one of your wayward children. And you know they're living at home, but you know they're wayward. Maybe you're a visitor into the meeting. You remember your godly parents. You remember how they taught you the gospel. You remember the verses as a child. But like this prodigal, you walked away from it all one day. And I tell you lovingly, you are living in insanity. It is insane to go down that path, to walk away from the God and the God alone who can save you from your sin and from hell. Your life will only spiral downwards. It's not going to get better. You need to come to your senses. You need God to step into your life. Tell me, young person, Maybe you're 16, 17, 18 perhaps you can leave home and you just can't, you're just itching to leave home because you want to live a certain way that your parents don't want you to live. Is that that true? 
I did it. And it was all empty. For three years, oh, there was pleasure in sin. But I would pace the floor of my apartment at nighttime. I was afraid to go to sleep at night because I was afraid I would die in my sleep and wake up in hell. It was a life of utter misery. Till I went and came back to my Savior and said, I have sinned. And it was joy unspeakable and full of glory. I appeal you to you tonight. Stop where you are. Come to the Savior. I'll be happy to stay behind as long as necessary. So will the ministers. So will any of the elders. Don't go on like you are. Come. Come back home to the gospel, to the truths you were taught as a child. There's no place like it. Come and welcome. God stamped the word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Could we bow our heads in prayer? Could we seek the Lord? Father in heaven, oh, thou who dost bring sinners to their senses, we pray that thou wilt do that tonight in the heart of any wayward child. Those who may listen online, who, who perhaps days or weeks or months or years later, May the word tonight be used by the Spirit of God to bring them to their senses, bring them to Christ. For the parents, Lord, here in this meeting who have shed many, many tears over their children who have gone astray, encourage them to pray on, to pray on in faith, to know in the depths of their souls that their children are not too hard a case for thee. And oh Lord, the devil will seek to beat them down and to bring back to their memories all their failings and faults. But oh our God, we thank thee that thou art delighted to show mercy to thy people in all their failings and faults. Grant the sense of thy presence as we go home May it encourage conversation between moms and dads about their wayward children or about their children who are not wayward, but their home. They need, O oh God, that grace to rear them aright. Continue with us, we pray, throughout the remainder of the week. Bring thy people back night by night as we seek to know how we can deal with these struggles that we face as thy people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.